You're listening to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, episode 84. Welcome to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, where we bring you engaging conversations about wildlife conservation from all across the globe. I'm your host, Matt Podolsky. Today's guest on the show is the founder of the Environmental Voter Project, Nathaniel Stinnett. Nathaniel has an extremely powerful message to share with us about the importance of voting. I can honestly say that this perspective has dramatically shifted the way that I think about voting and the role that the action of voting can play in the outcome of an environmental issue. If you're frustrated or perplexed by the marginal role that environmental issues almost always seem to play in our elections, then keep listening because Nathaniel will explain why this happens and what we can do to change this situation. Let's jump in. I'm Nathaniel Stinnett. I'm the founder and CEO of the Environmental Voter Project. We're a nonpartisan nonprofit that uses data analytics to identify non-voting environmentalists. And then we apply the latest behavioral science to try to turn them into more consistent voters. Explain to me what inspired you to uh, create this organization. Yeah, so I, uh, I've been working in politics and, and in particular political campaigns and, and advocacy work for over a decade. And there was something that always frustrated me. It, it made me want to put my head through a wall. And it, it's maybe something that you're aware of, Matt, uh, if not painfully aware of. And that's this. When you poll likely voters for any election. We could be talking about president of the United States or a Boise, Idaho mayoral election or anything in between. And you ask those likely voters to list the issues they care most about. Environmental issues, whether it be climate change or conservation or clean air, all environmental issues are almost always at the bottom of that list of priorities. Almost always. And that has a huge impact on how policy is made. I mean, if, if voters don't care about a set of issues, can we really expect politicians to care deeply about those issues? Um, and so this is something that always frustrated me. I saw it on every campaign I worked on. We would be working with candidates who always really cared about environmental issues. But it was very hard to justify talking about environmental issues and leading on environmental issues when they weren't a high priority for voters. I mean, when you run campaigns, your only goal is to get 50% plus one of the vote on one day, on election day. That's it. That's your only goal. And so spending your precious time and money talking about a set of issues that voters don't really prioritize is, is malpractice. So that always frustrated me. Uh, but I was doing some research for a friend of mine who's a national pollster a few years ago, and I stumbled upon something that totally blew my mind, Matt. And that was this. 
the reason so few voters prioritize climate change or other environmental issues is not because too few Americans care about environmental issues. I'll say that again because it's important. The reason so few voters care about environmental issues is not because too few Americans care about environmental issues. The reason is just that environmentalists are awful voters. (laughs) They're awful voters. And and because campaigns can only ever really afford to talk to good voters, it made me realize, gosh, we we need an organization that actually doesn't care about about who's going to win the next election. We need an organization that addresses this turnout problem, that just goes after the environmentalists who don't vote and tries to turn them into better voters. So, uh, so I, I realized a, a very important need in the environmental movement, and uh, we started the Environmental Voter Project, and that's all we do. We find environmentalists who don't vote, and then we apply a lot of cutting-edge techniques to turn them into better voters. I mean, you're saying that the candidates aren't focusing on environmental issues because there aren't good consistent voters who are environmentalists, but could it also be a failure of certain candidates in inspiring those voters who consider themselves to be environmentalists? So you you bring up a great point, and it could be, but the honest answer is we don't know, and nobody knows, and no one probably ever will know. And the reason is this. You know, social scientists are very good at figuring out what treatments or what techniques can make someone take an action. So in my business, they're very, we're very good at figuring out, oh, if you message this way or message that way, you increase someone's likelihood of voting. But what's really hard and what no scientist is ever, you know, ever feels really comfortable doing is figuring out why someone doesn't take a particular action. That's a really hard thing to measure, largely because people lie. (laughs) When you ask people, hey, why don't you vote? I can tell you what they say. I can tell you what they tell pollsters, but that's almost always a lie. And I can give you a a very concrete example. We just got out of the field maybe two months ago doing a really large-scale survey where half of the population we were surveying were super environmentalists. We knew these people not only cared about climate change and other environmental issues as one of their, you know, really, really cared about them, but these people cared about this stuff as if it were one of their top two issues. These were people who listed climate change or other environmental issues as their most important issue or their second most important issue. And we divided up the population into people who have literally never missed a vote so half the population were people who even vote in you know, school committee elections. And the other half of the population were folks who literally have never, ever voted before. And we asked these people, we asked the environmental super voters and the environmental non-voters, a whole bunch of questions about civic engagement and the importance of voting and why they vote and why they don't vote. And there were, there were a few things that were interesting, but... The two things that were most striking were these things. One, their answers were almost always the same. We didn't see any difference in how non-voters talked about voting and civic engagement and super voters talked about it, which was kind of interesting. And I'll I'll go into why, why we think it's interesting after I tell you the next thing. 
The next thing we saw was whenever we asked non-voters why they didn't vote, the overwhelming majority said, oh, no, I I always vote. Now, Matt, (laughs) I I don't know whether you know this, but whether you vote or not is public record. You, You live in Boise. I could go to Boise City Hall, get a copy of the voting file, and see when you vote and when you don't vote. Now, who you vote for is secret, obviously, but whether you vote or not is public record. So these people, we knew they had never voted before. And they lied to us. And they said, no, no, I always vote. And you know what? We thought they might lie. And so we, we built into the survey a backup question that said, oh, okay, okay. Well, we, we, we know that you usually vote, which of course is wrong. These people never voted. But we said, okay, okay, we, we know you usually vote. But on the rare occasion that you don't vote, what is the reason for not voting? And a slightly smaller majority, but still a majority said, oh, no, you don't get it. We always vote. So what that told us is something really interesting. Even people who never vote, even people who never, ever vote, still buy into the societal norm that voting is a good thing. They will lie to strangers on the street and swear up and down that they vote all the time. And obviously, this doesn't apply across the board to every single non-voter. There are certain people who think it's cool to not vote or not participate. But by and large, even the people who aren't participating want the world to think that they are participating. So that's a very long way of me saying social scientists will never know with any real accuracy why someone doesn't vote. But what we do know is that even non-voters want to be thought of as good voters. And if we take advantage of that, if we use things like social pressure or peer pressure, it's a very, very powerful way to get these people to vote. And that's often what we do at the Environmental Voter Project. We might never know why an environmentalist doesn't vote, but we have some really powerful tools to get them to vote. So let's delve a little bit into what what those tools are, you know, and and just sort of explain what your approach is towards increasing voter turnout amongst environmentalists, despite the fact that you say nobody's really ever going to know why they often don't vote. (laughs) Right. Right. Um, Great. So first I'll talk about the reason why we do this. And that is that politics is actually a pretty transparent and efficient marketplace. People rarely think of it as a marketplace, but but it really does act like a marketplace often. Politicians produce laws. The product they produce, these laws and policies that we care about, they produce them, but they spend a whole bunch of time measuring what the marketplace wants. I mean, right now it's, it's the middle of August in a presidential year. And I can guarantee you that today, as we speak, Matt, there are probably 50 polls in the field polling voters to see what they care about, at least 50. And so in this political marketplace, the people who produce the products, the people who make laws, spend all their time trying to figure out what the marketplace wants. And when they find out what voters want, they fall over themselves to deliver it to them. Or at least they fall over themselves to deliver certain products and certain rhetoric and certain messaging 
that they think voters will like and believe and cause them to support those particular candidates. But you know what? If you're not a voter, you're not in that marketplace. No politician has ever, ever spent any time figuring out what non-voters care about. I mean, why would they? I mean, it might sound cynical, but like, we don't expect Starbucks to care about us if we don't drink coffee, right? Like, why would politicians spend all their time trying to figure out what non-voters care about? And so what we do at the Environmental Voter Project is we've realized there is actually a silent majority of environmentalists out there. There are tens of millions of people in the United States who don't just care about environmental issues, but list them as one of their top priorities. But they're disproportionately awful voters. And so what we do is we don't try to persuade people to care about the environment. There are great groups that already do that. Nor do we try to persuade people to vote for particular candidates. There are great groups who already do that too. All we do is try to address this imbalance. We try to find environmentalists who don't vote and push them into the marketplace. To use that Starbucks analogy again, if you drive 5,000 coffee drinkers to the door of Starbucks, believe me, they'll start making more coffee. If you get millions and millions of non-voting environmentalists to start voting, believe me, politicians will respond. And I'll tell you, Matt, there are millions of them. We have identified 15.78 million super environmentalists who didn't vote in the 2014 midterms. We've identified 10.1 million super environmentalists who didn't vote in the 2012 presidential election. These are enormous numbers. And so that's what we spend our time doing, just getting these people into the marketplace. You present this in a really fascinating way, which is, I think, contrary to the way most people think about politics, right? You're sort of placing the burden on voters, right? And saying, if you don't go out and and vote, the impact of that is that the politicians just don't care. They're not going to pay attention to the issues that you care about, right? That's actually like a really hopeful way to think about it is that all we have to do is motivate ourselves as a group who share these certain beliefs to go out and vote. And then the politicians will come around and, you know, will come on board with a lot of these environmental concepts. You're Um, exactly right, Matt. I mean, this is a, this is very hopeful and this is great news. I mean, you know, what would be bad news? What would be bad news is if I told you, Hey, we've done all this research and no one cares about the environment. (laughs) Because, because actually persuading people to care about climate change or care about other environmental issues is really hard and it's really expensive. But instead, finding people who are already there, finding people who are already persuaded and just getting them to change their habits a little bit, well, I won't claim that's easy, but it's, it's a heck of a lot easier and a heck of a lot cheaper. And what's also hopeful about it is, is something that you, you, know, you put your finger on. A lot of people don't realize that their vote is more powerful than they think it is. Most people think of their vote as being transactional. Most people think, oh, okay, well, like, my vote might count on the rare occasion that I happen to walk out the door on election day and my one vote is the difference maker in a particular election, which, by the way, we all know will probably never happen. But that's not what that's not how you assign value to your vote. Your vote is actually much more valuable than that. And the reason is this. Remember, 
Who you vote for is secret, but whether you vote or not is public information. And politicians pay attention to who votes and who doesn't vote, and then they respond accordingly. So every time an environmentalist votes, regardless of whether your candidate wins or loses, you are sending a loud message about your priorities. Because we can always depend on politicians to do two things. One, they will always poll voters to see what they care about. And then two, they will always use that information to try to win. (laughs) So, I mean, you've got to vote. You've got to vote if you care about conservation issues, if you care about other environmental issues. You have to vote because every time you do, it's like a big red beacon on your public voter file. And every politician across the country will see that and they'll say, hey, Matt just voted in that Boise, Idaho municipal election. And if he votes in that election, man, he, he probably votes in a whole bunch of elections. We've got we've to send canvassers to his door. We have to send mail to him. We have to call him up to see what he cares about. And so you're right. This is a very hopeful message. It, you, your vote is extraordinarily valuable regardless of who wins or loses. And if you don't vote, you are a second-class citizen because politicians just don't care about non-voters. This perspective that you're sharing with us, I mean, it's, it's hopeful on more than one level, right? I mean, it sort of means that there are a lot of environmentalists out there. There are a lot of people out there that care about these issues, even though a lot of them don't vote, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But the other thing that you're telling us, which I feel like there might be a bit of a disconnect here um, between what you're saying and the beliefs that a lot of these environmentalists, non-voters have, which is you're saying that politicians, when voters stand up and say, we care about environmentalist issue, that the politicians will pay attention, right? And I think that that is something that a lot of especially young folks you know, right now, looking at the political system, they don't have that trust, you know, in the politicians themselves. And and I think you're right. And I I think the important thing to realize is that there's a very different value that politicians place on the opinions of voters, as opposed to non-voters. And so, right now, across the United States, there are millions and millions of environmentalists who don't vote. And they're saying, you know, Politicians don't care about the things that I care about. And they're not paranoid. (laughs) They're totally right. They're totally right. Again, Starbucks doesn't care about you if you don't drink coffee. Of course. We don't expect Toyota to spend tens of millions of dollars marketing cars to three-year-olds because three-year-olds can't drive. Why would politicians care about the priorities of non-voters? But the good news is voting is easy. It's quick. I mean, gosh, I, I, I don't want to denigrate a whole bunch of other important environmental things that you can do with your life. But, I mean, compared to installing solar panels or changing your commuter habits or changing other lifestyle habits, I mean, voting is the easiest thing you can do to protect the environment. The average person, it only takes 20 minutes for them to vote. And the average person, at best, has three elections each year. When you talk about primaries and generals and local, state, federal, I mean, this is a really easy, quick thing that people can do. And don't get me wrong. It, it, it's, not, it's not a perfectly efficient marketplace. Obviously, there are things that distort politics, money being one of them. P- 
politicians don't just care about what voters think. They think they care about what donors think. And so, yes, there are things that distort this system. But, man, the easiest thing you can do if you care about conservation or clean air or clean water or climate change, the easiest thing you can change in your life is promise that you'll take an hour each year to attend every single election you have. Every single one. When you do that, I mean, the whole world will change. Matt, if we woke up tomorrow morning and the front page of the New York Times said that in the upcoming presidential election, likely voters listed climate change and other environmental issues as their number three priority, the whole world would change overnight. The whole world would change. But right now, it's probably we just got out of the field with a poll. It's 14th out of 17 priorities. I mean, it's nowhere. It's nothing. How can we expect politicians to really care about this issue if voters don't? It's just crazy to think that climate change is number 14th on the list yeah. of priorities for voters. I mean, that's it's insane considering the scale of that issue and, and the potential impact it has on the planet and humanity. Um, right. But that's beside the point. Let's dive into this. I mean, what is your approach. Um, mm-hmm. how, how are you going to uh, uh, try to increase voter turnout amongst environmentalists? So we're already doing it and getting some pretty dramatic results. And it's, it, you know, we use a lot of tools and messages that uh, are somewhat surprising. Uh, I'll tell you what we don't do. We don't talk about the environment for one really compelling reason. If you find environmentalists and talk to them about the environment, it actually does not increase their likelihood of voting. (laughs) And it's like that for everybody, no matter what issue they care about. And the reason is this. A lot of the latest behavioral science research and voter turnout research shows that the act of voting is not something that you do after making a cost-benefit analysis. It's not, it's not what social scientists call logical choice theory. It's instead something that they call expressive choice theory. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Something that political scientists love to say, and they say it over and over again, is this. You have a higher likelihood of getting hit by a car on your way to the polling place than you have of your one vote making a difference in that particular election. And deep down, whether you and I want to admit this, Matt, we probably both know that, right? (laughs) We probably both know that our one vote will rarely actually make a difference in a particular election. Yet, I don't want to embarrass you, but my, my guess is you're probably a pretty good voter, right? Did I, uh, and I don't mean to out you by asking you these questions, <laughs> did, you, did you vote in the 2012 presidential election? I did. Okay, great. So you voted. Were you living in Idaho then? I was. Okay. So you voted even though you probably knew that Mitt Romney was going to win Idaho. You, you had as close to a 100% certainty of knowing that there was no possible way that your vote was going to make a difference. Similarly, the, congress- the congressional seats that were up for election then, we knew who was going to win those two congressional seats in Idaho. Yet you voted. And my guess is you probably voted 
not because you were viewing it as a transaction where you thought there was some likelihood that your one vote would make a difference and that's why you walked out the door on election day. Instead, you probably voted because of some aspect of your personality or some way that you like to express yourself. Maybe you like to think of yourself as being civically engaged or maybe you want to live in a society that's civically engaged or maybe you're embarrassed to admit to your significant other that you didn't vote or something like that. But that was probably, whether you want to admit it or not, or whether I want to admit it or not, that's usually why people vote. And tons and tons of experiments prove this. They prove that voting is usually what's, it's usually called an expressive choice. It's a way that people decide to express themselves rather than a logical choice, which means it's not people making a cost-benefit analysis and deciding that it's worth 20 minutes of their day to walk to the polls because their one vote has a higher likelihood of making a difference and providing them some return. Um, Another perfect example of this is a great experiment that compared two voter turnout techniques. One of them went as follows. It said, hey, Matt, turnout's going to be really low on Tuesday, and it's going to be a really close election. So you've got to vote because your vote's going to make a difference. Well, that is mathematically accurate, right? If the overall turnout in the denominator of a fraction is really low, then your one vote in the numerator does mean it does have a higher likelihood of making a difference, right? So if I tell you turnout's going to be low, then yes, there is a higher likelihood that your vote will make a difference. The people who heard that message in this experiment, Matt, their turnout was depressed by 2%. Turnout was lower by 2% if you gave people that message. If instead you just flip the script and tell people the opposite, if instead you call them up and you say, hey, Matt, everybody is voting on Tuesday, Turnout's going through the roof. You've got to vote. Well, mathematically now, your one vote has a lower likelihood of making a difference in the election. But because of peer pressure or some desire to fit in, that message actually increases turnout by 1.5%. And believe me, 1.5% is a big deal in this business. I mean, ask Al Gore how big a deal 1.5% is. (laughs) It's a really big deal. Um, and so I can go into more, I can go into specific treatments and techniques that we use, but all of the techniques that we use talk to voters about the importance of being a voter, not about sort of the transaction of voting and why a particular election is important. It strikes me as, I mean, just explaining what you have explained to us um, <laughs> in this conversation thus far um, and explaining that the real reason you should go out and vote is not because your one vote is going to actually change the outcome of the election, but explaining how politicians really do pay attention to polls and to the opinions of people who vote consistently. Um, You know, that message to me, that seems really convincing. Right. 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 Now, Now, I want to be clear that there are two types of messaging in political campaigns, and I'm only talking about one type. I'm only talking about the types of messages that get someone out the door on election day. Obviously, campaigns also spend a whole bunch of time doing what what people refer to as persuasion messaging, right? 
campaigns also try to make sure that that you vote for the right person. <laughs> uh, we don't do that because we already know that the people we're talking to are environmentalists, so we don't have to do any persuasion messaging. Um, but yeah, I mean, the the most powerful techniques that we use all deal with this, this expressive choice theory. And I can give you some examples. I mean, a, a perfect example is when we find environmentalists, we will call them up or send canvassers to their door. And... Uh, a really powerful message goes like this. Uh, let's pretend uh, there's a, a presidential election coming up and we say, uh, hey, Matt, did you know last time there was a presidential election, 47 people on your street voted? That's all. That's all we say. But giving a voter that information, making them realize that, oh, wow, okay, well, you know, vote, people's voting histories is public information. And last time there was an election like this, Lots of people on my street voted. Wow, that is extraordinarily powerful. In our experiments, that boosts turnout 6.6%. 6.6% is everything. I mean, I can't remember a significant election that was decided by more than 6.6%. I mean, that's a huge number. But you'll notice we didn't talk about environmental issues. We didn't try to convince people of the importance of their vote or the importance of an election. We just wanted to get them out the door. Another technique that we use is a simple pledge card. And I bet a lot of your listeners, and maybe you are are familiar with this already because a lot of sophisticated campaigns use these. You go to someone's door and you say, hey, do you intend to vote on Tuesday? Oh, great, great. Can I get you to fill out this card and just sign your name saying that you're going to vote? And we'll, we'll mail it back to you to remind you uh, of the election. It's a very simple technique. But study after study has shown that if someone promises to vote and then you remind them of that promise, they want to do it. They don't want to break their promise. And that will increase turnout 6% if it's done at the door, if it's a canvasser conversation, and 4% if it's over the phone. These are really powerful techniques. But you know what doesn't work? (laughs) Talking to people about the importance of environmental issues in the upcoming election, and that's why they have to vote, because that that gets them into the mind frame that their, their, their voting is a transaction. And deep down, we all know that that we're not going to get a return on our transaction. Instead, you want, to, you want to speak to how people express themselves. And deep down, most Americans want to be known as a voter. They want to be known as being civically engaged because that's still a societal norm that people buy into. People still think that voting is a good thing, even if a lot of people don't do it. I guess I'm wondering about sort of the, the timing of the creation of, of this project of yours, the Environmental Voter Project. I mean, did you create this organization with a specific eye on this year's presidential election? Uh, no. And it's very important that I stress this. I mean, uh, going after bad voters is not a good way to win one election. <laughs> <laughs> This is not some like secret election-winning strategy here. <laughs> uh, the, the reason most campaigns don't go after bad voters is because, you know, when your goal is winning a one-off election, you rarely have the time or money to go after someone who, has, who is very unlikely to vote. But if instead 
your goal is the long-term health of the environmental movement, if instead your goal is after four, five, six years to so boost demand in the electorate for environmental leadership that politicians have no choice but to respond, well then, yeah, you definitely want to be going after these non-voters. And so, no, we, we don't have our eye on the presidential election. The presidential election is just one more opportunity for us to turn non-voters into voters. But what we do is when we set up shop in a particular area, we hit our targets for every election. We try to get environmentalists to vote for school committee races, not because school committee members necessarily have a huge impact on environmental policy, but because if I get you to vote in any election, that then becomes a huge marker, a bright red beacon on your voter file that then tells every politician in the land that you're a voter. And then the next time there's a campaign, well, the first thing any candidate is going to do is they're going to decide, okay, who are we going to talk to and who are we not going to talk to? And if we got someone to vote in a city council election or a school committee election or a state rep or state senate election a few months earlier, that gubernatorial candidate or that presidential candidate will see that on the voter file and they'll say, wow, this person's a pretty good voter. We have to poll them. We have to send canvassers to their door. We have to try to appeal to them. And so, no, we're, we're in this for the long haul. We're about changing habits, not winning elections. We, uh, we want to win the electorate. We want to wake up three, four, five years from now and uh, see that environmentalists are voting as often as NRA members vote. The place where we are at right now in this current presidential election we're just being inundated with media, you know, tied to this election. And, you know, I, I think that folks often lose sight of the importance of the local elections, right? Yep. Especially if you're still in that mindset, which obviously, I mean, you're trying to shift this mindset so that people sort of view elections in a little bit of a different way. But I mean, if you're still in that mindset of like, it makes the most sense for me to vote in elections where I have the potential that, you know, where my one vote actually could make a difference like mm-hmm. those are the those are the local elections right um and i mean oftentimes there is a, a you know a much better chance that the outcome of that local election is going to have uh, a, a more direct impact on your day-to-day life um absolutely and on environmental policy i mean big city mayors can save the planet mayors can save the planet with tweaks to the zoning code and building codes, the, the way that we use energy, the way that we drive, the way that we live. I mean, mayors often have more control over policies that affect climate change and air quality and water quality and open space than governors do, and even members of Congress do. I mean, with how dysfunctional Congress is these days, I mean, gosh, If 5,000 environmentalists started showing up for Boise City Council and mayoral elections, everything would change. Everything would change across all of Idaho. And so, yes, we are in the business of changing habits because we want to boost demand for a whole bunch of environmental policies. But there is no doubt that 
if you really care about environmental issues, your voice and your opinion and your vote is extraordinarily powerful in these local elections, extraordinarily powerful, and in many ways far more powerful than it is in federal elections or even statewide elections. You're absolutely right about that. I I can't stop thinking about this one incident. So this is, I guess, my most recent experience with voting um, here Mm -hmm. in Boise. I actually participated in um, the largest presidential caucus in U.S. history. So Boise, uh, the entire city of Boise is just one caucus. Uh Oh, wow. Um, And so we had record turnout um, at our Democratic uh, caucus this year, which because it's the largest caucus location in, in, in the country uh, means that, you know, it was the largest caucus, uh, presidential caucus in history. And it was really interesting because, you know, they siphon everybody into this uh, massive auditorium. The way the caucus works in, in Idaho is then a representative from each campaign gets up and has the opportunity to try to sway those voters, you know, over to their side. And I'll just say right up front that Boise voted 80% for Bernie Sanders over Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. Um, And the mayor of Boise stood up there and he was supporting Hillary Clinton. I I was just really struck by the feel, like what was happening in this auditorium, right? You had 80% of the people there that were supporting Bernie Sanders. And then you have the mayor of the city getting up there and trying to make a speech explaining his support for Hillary Clinton and he's getting booed and he can't even get through the speech. And I'm just sitting there thinking like, wow, like this, you know, it doesn't even matter how much of a difference like this makes for Bernie Sanders campaign, right? Like this is having an impact locally because our mayor is seeing the overwhelming support for this other candidate that he has chosen not to support, you know, and that has, that has to have an impact to sort of filter down on the local level. And he's got to be thinking, uh, you know, maybe I'm not really in touch with my electorate, you know? Right, right. And, and maybe, I mean, I, I don't know the, the elected officials you're talking about, but maybe this person would even be likely to support a lot of the policies of the people who were booing him. But because a lot of those people never vote in municipal elections... He never hears from them. Right, right. And so, you know, oftentimes municipal leaders do tend to be more progressive and do care about environmental issues. But again, I mean, even when we elect the right people, Matt, it's very hard to expect them to spend their political capital on something that voters don't prioritize. I mean, laws aren't made on election night, right? Laws are made in the intervening weeks and months and years between elections. And every elected official needs to decide, okay, well, I have limited political capital. There are only so many unpopular or difficult decisions I can make. And to expect elected officials to use one of those difficult decisions on something that voters don't care about is really hard. But yeah, if all of those people who showed up to that caucus, decided to start voting in municipal elections and state elections, it could have an enormous impact, an absolutely enormous impact. And it's so easy. I mean, gosh, caucuses are nightmares. I don't need to tell you that. I mean, they're, they're logistically awful. And it was probably a really long, crazy experience. But even then, it's a heck of a lot easier than a whole bunch of other things environmentalists do to affect their everyday life. 
I mean, in the grand scheme of things, voting is so easy, yet it is so impactful. The caucus process, the Democratic caucus process, and at least here in Boise, was crazy. I mean, there was, right. a, you know, it was a, a line, you know, uh, that was two miles long to get into the building, right? <laughs> right. And, and it, you know, it was the, it, the whole the whole event started two hours late because they need to get everybody in the room. And yeah, you're right. It's so much easier to just vote in a local municipal election. I mean, it's a thousand times easier, but the turnout for those local elections are probably, you know, is probably dramatically lower than it is for, you know, these presidential elections that get all this, this attention from mainstream media, you know? Right. So, I mean, just as sort of a closing note here, obviously the number one thing that folks can do to alleviate this situation you're talking about is, go out and vote, right? <laughs> yes. Um, but I mean, what would you say to folks who have been listening to this conversation and totally buy into what you're talking about here and the importance of environmentalists getting out and voting um, in every election, not just these big presidential elections, but local elections and, and all that? Um, I mean, what would you tell them as far as how they can participate and help forward this cause beyond just going out and voting themselves? Right. I would say be loud and proud about the fact that you're voting. Because remember, the, the most powerful way to turn a non-voter into a voter is to appeal to this inherent acceptance of the idea that voting is good. Like peer pressure works and social pressure works. It's the best way to turn a non-voter into a voter. And so for your listeners who not only are good voters or are going to become good voters, it's really important for them to be loud and proud about it. Because if your friends see that you vote all the time, they are much, much more likely to start voting themselves. Much more likely. It, we still live in high school, Matt. Like <laughs> peer pressure works. People want to do what folks like them are doing. And right now, there are a whole bunch of ways that environmentalists express themselves. They express themselves with their commuting habits or their behavior, you know, their, their lifestyle habits. Maybe they, uh, their purchasing habits. Maybe they put solar panels on their roof or they ride their bike to work or they recycle. But very few environmentalists express themselves politically. The more you and your listeners can make it clear that voting is one of the highest forms of environmental citizenship, the more of your friends will vote. It's a really, really powerful message. And, I, and again, I just want to be clear here because I know your listeners care about conservation issues. When you talk about combating climate change, when you talk about funding conservation efforts, when you talk about protecting the Clean Air Act or the Clean Water Act or the Endangered Species Act, it is really hard for politicians to take those issues seriously when environmentalists aren't voting. But when you start voting, believe me, they will respond because nothing motivates a politician like the prospect of winning an election. <laughs> if voters want something, they will respond. They absolutely will respond. I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and sharing this, this really important message with us. This has been great. You've totally shifted the way that I view voting. 
Um, and I mean, <laughs> I mean, some of that is stuff that like, you know, I was maybe doing, but wasn't a hundred percent conscious of, um, right. but, uh, yeah, this has been a great conversation. I, I really appreciate you, uh, uh, coming onto the show and sharing this with us. Well, thank you, Matt. And, uh, one last thing I just want to stress. It's good news that so many environmentalists don't vote because it is the easy, it's so much easier to change habits than it is to change minds. So uh, yeah. everybody out there who cares about the environment, get off your butts and vote. It's the easiest way to make a difference. It, it, it's funny that we could consider that to be good news, right? That <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> It's good news that a lot of environmentalists don't vote. But I mean, you're right. It is because that means that this potential exists to really dramatically shift the way that that politicians uh, and, and politics works, right? Exactly, exactly. Listen, thank you so much for, uh, for having me, Matt. I really appreciate it. All right, that was our conversation with the founder of the Environmental Voter Project, Nathaniel Stinnett. What a unique perspective on the connections between voting, politics, and the environment. Although I do consider myself to be a consistent voter, and I'm not lying to you, I swear, I had never thought about the ability that consistent voters have to really influence politicians and force them to pay attention to environmental issues. This gives me a a much more tangible reason to head out to the polls, uh, not only for this coming presidential election, but for all the local elections that will follow. So you heard Nathaniel, be loud and proud when you head to the polls and use that energy to encourage others to join you at the polls. This is not just about the upcoming presidential election, but it's about creating a movement that emphasizes the importance of voting as the highest form of environmental citizenship, as Nathaniel stated so eloquently in today's interview. So if you want to learn more about the Environmental Voter Project and Nathaniel's efforts to bring environmentalists to the polls, you can head on over to the show notes page for this episode, which you will find at wildlensinc.org slash EOC84. And of course, if you enjoyed this episode, you can head on over to the iTunes store, uh, click subscribe to the Eyes on Conservation podcast, and you can leave us an honest rating and review. This really helps us reach more people with this show and the important messages that we have in these interviews that we share. Today's episode was produced by myself, your host, Matt Podolsky. Our theme music is by The Humidors. The Humidors.